0: I think we're going to see Paul listing one by one the gifts of justification, the gifts of justification, by which I mean not that uh, justification itself is multiple gifts. I mean, when I say the gifts of justification, I mean those, those gifts that come to us along with justification, like when a sinner stands justified before God, they Along with that, enjoy a whole host of other goods and gifts and benefits from the hand of the Lord. And Paul lists some of those, those gifts in verses 1 through 5, which will then bring us to the second half of the, of the passage, verses 6 through 11, where Paul circles back again to what I think he began at the end of chapter 3, and he's going to explain again the ground of justification. He started that. In chapter 3, when he says God put forward Jesus as, as the propitiation for our sins, that's, that's the ground of justification kind of talk. But he hasn't done that since that time, and he's going to come back to it here. Um, yeah, so chapter 4 was just about what justification is, that it's a declaration from God, not guilty but righteous, and talked about how we access it through faith alone. But it's not really since the end of chapter 3 that he has, he has explained what lays underneath it, what... What grounds God's ability to justify a sinner and be just in doing so? That's what I want to think about for a few minutes this morning. Verses 1 to 5, the gifts of justification. Verses 6 through 11, the ground of justification. So let's read it, and then we'll dive into it and take a closer look. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Read through verse 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God... Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into, uh, into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, this uh, is your holy and inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And Lord, would you please give us eyes to see all the truth that you revealed through the pen of the Apostle Paul in these short verses. There's a lot here. This is a this is a uh, this is a banquet meal for us this morning and I pray that you would help us to have the eyes to see the truth that you have given to us here and give us minds to understand it clearly and uh, and remember it would you give us hearts to embrace fully what you're telling us here and give us wills to obey uh, whatever corrections to our actions or life or thought that that are This passage is going to present to us. And Lord, would you please give me the help that I need to teach and give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, hopefully you could see as we read through the passage some of what I said. I think we'll see Paul saying um, about the gifts and the ground of justification. Either way, we'll take a closer look and see it ourselves. So let's start at the beginning uh, and think first about the gifts of justification. I think if we think carefully about what Paul is saying here, we're going to see at least four gifts, four gifts that Paul identifies that come to the justified sinner along with his justification before God. I think this is just deeply encouraging. And some of these are very clear in the text, so let's look. And the first gift that Paul itemizes in these early verses is we see right there in verse 1. He says, Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith. Again, notice that word since. Since we have been justified. So justification has happened. Now he's going to list things that have come along with it. Okay? Since we've been justified by faith, what? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because we are justified, having been justified, the fruit, the gift that comes along with that, the first gift we have is peace with God. We're going to understand that even more when we come to the ground of justification in the second half of the passage, which I suppose would be true for every one of these gifts that I'm going to bring out. But but for now, we simply need to believe what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here. Settled fact. Settled fact. If you have heard the gospel and you have Repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your whole faith, your whole trust in Jesus alone. He is your standing place. He is your hope of forgiveness. He is your righteousness. Nothing in myself, all of Jesus, 100%. If you have done that, you have peace with God. I... I, I don't know, if Paul was here, I would ask him, maybe maybe would say this, maybe there says, I don't know why I listed it first, but I'd like to believe that this one is listed first for us because it is so often the most difficult to believe in practice. Like, you, we don't always feel like we have peace with God every moment of the day. In fact, and it could be for a whole lot of different reasons. I, it, it could be that that you are caught up in a in a sinful pattern that you know is wrong that you don't want to be true of your life anymore that you are fighting to overcome by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit but you have you have you're still struggling with it and every time you fall into that sinful pattern you are just overcome with waves of guilt and shame it could be that it could be that you just are in a dry season of your your Christian life and walk, and you just, you just quite frankly feel lukewarm in your faith for a season. It, it could be that, that you're not necessarily caught up in some egregious sin, but it, it is just your nature to be anxious. It's just in your nature to, 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 to be prone to, to uh, doubt things and, and to, to, to be anxious. And, and any of those things, could, could cause you not to feel like you have peace with God. But does that mean that you don't? Does that mean that you don't? Could it possibly mean that you are reading and, and listening to and trusting your feelings and your circumstances more than God's Word? Because if you'll notice, there aren't any conditions attached to that gift. It's a settled reality. We have peace with God. That's not a if. It's a sense. We have peace with God. Why is it settled? Verse 1 says it's because it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. More on that in just a minute. But it's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your actions or your inactions or your circumstances. It's a settled reality for you because somebody else earned it. Somebody else earned it. It's not even based on your Faith is we're going to see, because we saw last week that not even Abraham's faith was pristinely perfect. One thing that we said this past Wednesday night that I'll, I'll bring up again uh, here, this one thing that, that, that uh, the Puritans often um, helpfully uh, worded for us, and it's, it's this, that for the believer, our union with Christ, our union with Christ is fixed. It doesn't move. Our union with Christ is fixed, though at times, for different reasons, our communion with Christ may seem distant. It may ebb and flow. Our, 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 our union with Him, though, is never interrupted. Our union with Christ never is interrupted, and therefore, therefore neither is His posture toward us of peace. But that's not all. The second gift that he he mentions, we find, not surprisingly, in verse 2. It says, in addition to the peace that we have with God, he says, through him, that is through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've obtained access into this grace in which we stand. Perpetual grace. It's not just perpetual peace, perpetual grace. And again, notice that it is, it is not something that is affected or that ebbs or flows with what you have done or what you have not done or by your circumstances or how you feel. Because notice how careful Paul is to make sure in verse 2 that you know that it is access that has been opened to you by another. That you did not earn it. You did not deserve that access. How did did it come to you? You obtained it. Do you see that? Through him we we have obtained access. We obtained it. How? By faith. We obtained it by faith. What does that mean? It's trusting in the other who opened it for you. And it's not a grace in which you hope, as we use that term, meaning wish. It's not a grace in which you you wish. It's not a grace that you have so long as you stay balanced on the balance beam. it's, it's, It's a grace in which you stand all the time. You stand there without end. It's the place where you are. Wherever you are, and again, we're going to see why we can be so confident of this in just a second. But for now, believe it. Believe it. This gift of justification, namely, perpetual grace in which we stand, it reminds me of one of my absolute favorite Old Testament promises. Um, in fact, this was the passage when I when I when I came here. Uh, Perspective to be the college pastor here. This is the first passage that I taught here And it's in jeremiah chapter 32 and the particular verse i'm talking about is verse 40 jeremiah 32:40. It's a passage about the About the coming new covenant in in jesus christ And this is the promise that god makes in jeremiah 32:40 about about what would be true For new covenant believers. He says I will make with them Who are they? believers in Christ I will make with them an everlasting covenant to do what that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me he will never stop doing good Not for one moment of your life will he ever stop doing good to you. Not for one moment doing good to his people, including making sure that we never turn away from him. That is the grace in which we stand. It's it's the very reason why Paul will be able to to, to keep uh, or be able to promise a few chapters later in chapter 8, verse 28, that God is working all things together for good. Um, even things that we could not possibly see, how it will work together for good, how that could ever be turned to my good, it will because grace is the only posture that God has now toward His people. Grace and goodness. Even in, like in other places of the New Testament, even like Hebrews 12, when, when the writer is talking about God's discipline of us, His discipline of us, How does he couch that language of God's discipline of us? He's treating us like sons. He disciplines those he loves. In fact, it says later in Hebrews 12, he disciplines us for our good. For our good. In the old hymn that we never sing to our shame, the old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Uh, One of the verses of that, Of that beautiful hymn it says judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace behind a frowning Providence in other words ugly circumstances troubling times difficult times behind a frowning Providence he hides a smiling face we have the gift of peace with God we have the gift of perpetual grace from his hand. What well, Paul keeps going. The third uh, gift of justification I believe he gives is this, assurance. Assurance. It's not just peace. It's not just grace. It's assurance. I, it, it may not be immediately obvious to you when, when you read it, but I think that's what Paul is indicating. When at the end of verse 2 he says, and we rejoice in hope, of the glory of God, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It, it is here's how I here's how I take that. It is the confident that means it is the confidence confident assurance that He's going to hold us fast until the end, till the day. Why is this the glory of God? It's till the day that we see the glory of God with our own eyes. And First John three two says. That we, when, when that happens, we will also be transformed into that same image because we will see him as he is. Hope, quote unquote, hope, not as we use the term, but as the New Testament uses it. It doesn't, the New Testament doesn't use that word like we use that word. Um, we use it more like a wish. Like, maybe a little stronger than a wish, but still not with complete certainty. Like, I hope so. I can't say for sure, but I hope so right? That's how we use it. But that's not how Paul and the New Testament writers use it. You can see see that in how Paul says it here. He says, we rejoice in the hope. Paul doesn't rejoice in possibilities. He rejoices in certainties. On top of the fact that it's just a few verses later in verse 5, Paul says, hope does not put us to shame. In other words, hope will not let us down. Hope is a certain thing. When the New Testament talks about hope, it's talking about a reality that's already there. The only only difference is we're just waiting to take full possession of it. It's an inheritance that is already promised to us. We just haven't gotten it fully, completely yet. And Paul says that we rejoice in this hope. means that it's a sure hope. It means that God wants you to know it. We rejoice in this hope. He wants you to know it. He wants you to know it so well that, it, that it, 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 it moves you. It moves you out of your doubt. It moves you out of your anxious thoughts. It moves you out of your hesitation to fully believe. That you know the assurance of what's coming and the glory that we can't even fathom now, but that we will inevitably see with our eyes and experience in our own selves Know that so well. Have no, there's no wavering there. All it produces in me is joy. That's the gift of justification because in justification, every impediment to full acceptance before God has been removed. Our sins have been removed. We have been reckoned perfectly, spotlessly, righteous before God, not because I am, but because Jesus is. The the saving plan of God is to make us in full reality what He has already declared us to be in Christ. It's why when we get to Romans 8, Paul is going to be able to say, he's going to be able to say um, in verse 30 of chapter 8, he says, those whom He justified, He also glorified. You may have heard that verse so much, it doesn't seem strange to you anymore. Justified is something that has happened to you already now, if you have trusted in Jesus. You're not yet glorified. At least you don't look it. And I'm not either. Glorification has not happened to me or you yet. It's waiting for us in the future. But Paul says, all those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. In other words, it is so sure he writes about it as if it's already happened. Because in the eternal purpose of God, it has. I don't think it's accidental that Paul presents these gifts. If we go back to chapter 5, I don't think it's accidental that Paul presents these gifts in the order that he does, or at least the Holy Spirit. Because Paul has one more gift that he speaks... Um, more directly to what he knows are the present circumstances of those readers who received this letter. Uh, The fourth and final gift that he mentions, we find in verses three to five that we might summarize as this, his persevering presence with us. His persevering presence with us. Peace, grace, assurance, his persevering presence with us. I think Paul knows that even with the the promise of peace, grace, and assurance, life is still hard. Um, So Paul tells them in verse 3 that they can can even rejoice in their sufferings. Why? Because even before we get to heaven, God is working all these things for for good in us and for us. Here he describes that reality by showing in verses 3 to 5 that our sufferings... Produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, that hope that we just described as this confident assurance. But but do but look carefully at verses three to five, especially verse five. Do do our sufferings produce all of this this in us, this 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 uh this endurance and and character and hope. Does that just does that produce all that in us just automatically? like just because no what does he say at verse 5 why does all why does our why do our sufferings produce all of these good things in us in the verse 5 it's because the holy spirit has been given to us whose presence perseveres with us through every hardship to produce that Christ likeness in us through them you know hope this this culmination of all these good gifts, the, the, these things, they're not going to put us to shame because it's because it's the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul has listed gift after gift after gift that comes to everyone who, by repentance and faith, is justified by, uh, before God in Christ. But like I said earlier, I don't think in this passage Paul is just content to say, "Hey, you have these gifts. Believe it." Um, I think he I think he wants to dive a little deeper. And circle back to what he began at the, end, at the end of chapter 3. He wants to circle back and, and, and explain the ground of why these things are true. Like, why we can be so sure of these things. And some of these things he's meant, he'll mention are basic Christianity, and that's entirely the point. Um, these are the most basic things precisely because they're the most important things. So think with me for the rest of our time this morning, about the ground of justification that, that supports all of these gifts from verses 1 to 5. We'll see this in what he says in verses 6 to 11. And in these verses, Paul makes a list of things just like he did in the first half of the passage. And I think he lists five things that ground our justification. Five things that ground our justification. And again, if Paul was here, I'd ask him. but I, and So I can't say for sure. If this was Paul's intention, but I do, I find it quite satisfying to myself that he, he lists four gifts and five grounds. Like that he lists one more ground than he does gift. It just communicates to me that there is more than enough ground to make certain whatever gifts he gives us. Like it, there's enough ground for what you hope in. And and so let's think quickly about each of these things that Paul says ground our justification and all of the gifts that come with that. We'll move through these quickly, uh, but I want to make sure we see them in the text. The first ground of our justification that he mentions, I think he describes in verses 6 through 8. In fact, he's going to mention the first two in these verses, but we'll take them one by one. Let's first of all read verses 6 to 8 one more time, and then I'll show you what I think Paul is showing us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, like I said, I see two different grounds uh, for our justification in those verses. But the first is certainly this, the mercy of God. The mercy of God is a ground of our justification what is mercy? Like if somebody said, what is mercy? Or if somebody said, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Here's a a good way to distinguish between grace and mercy in your your thinking. Uh, Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, okay? Grace is getting what you don't deserve, Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And hopefully you can see the mercy of God toward us in these verses. Because in verses 6 to 8, how are we described in verses 6 through 8? I see three not very flattering descriptions of us in verses 6 through 8. We are described as weak, ungodly sinners. Weak ungodly sinners. I, I'll leave it to your imagination as to what that kind of person deserves or, or just remember the first three chapters of this letter. So you can imagine what that a weak, ungodly sinner would deserve from the hand of a holy God but what do we get instead according to these verses? Christ died for us. It's repeated twice. It's repeated... In verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. It's repeated in verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we'll see more in, uh, in, in just a second. That is most certainly not getting what we deserve. It's mercy. And verse 8 shows us that uh, this mercy of God is rooted in the love of God. And Scripture is clear in both Old Testament and New Testament that to, find, to try to find some reason why the Lord loves His people, to try to find some reason why He loves them and shows His mercy to them, good luck. The closest you come to finding a reason is in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and the answer Deuteronomy 7 gives as to why the Lord loves His people is this, quote, It is because the Lord loves you. That's the reason. Why does the Lord love you? Because the Lord loves you. Like, that's the whole reason, which tells me that's not a non-answer. That's not a non-answer. It tells me it is rooted securely in the eternal, immutable, unchangeable purpose of God. It ain't going anywhere. If while while we were weak ungodly sinners in other words nothing in us to move us toward that mercy he gave us mercy anyway that alone that alone is as sure a ground of our justification before god as any you could hope for but it's just the first of many for paul right because in these same verses we see a second ground which is that out of the mercy of god here's a second one he provided christ as our substitute he provided Christ as our substitute. Out of his mercy, he provided a substitute. Notice again, and this is also in verses six through eight. Notice again these important words in verses six through eight. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. That word for may seem obvious to you, but certainly, certainly here. And when you see words like this in the New Testament, for means on behalf of someone else. It means in the place of someone else, instead of someone else. In other words, Jesus died on behalf of the ungodly. Jesus died instead of us, in our place. In other words, Jesus was our substitute. He was there instead of us, in our place, for us and if the mercy of God demonstrates that God for his own holy and just eternal purposes that we cannot penetrate any further into if, 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 that, if his mercy shows us that he was inclined to justify sinners the substitution of Christ demonstrates that he provided the way mercy provides the inclination Substitution provides the way. It's because Christ was our substitute in his life, in his life for ours, that we can be declared righteous before God. And it's because Jesus was our substitute in his death for ours that we cannot be held, that our sins cannot be held against us. He bore them on himself. That's why Paul will say in verse 9 that it's because of his substitution for us that we will be saved by him from the wrath of God substitution. But Paul adds an even further ground than simply the mercy of God toward us expressed in the substitutionary life and death of Christ. And what he adds to those things is this third ground, the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. Look again at verse 10. For if while we were if while we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son much more now that we are reconciled, shall we, shall we be saved by his life? Paul, in essence, is saying that if Christ was, here he's in his own way, he's saying, if Christ was not raised, if he was not raised, then the substitutionary death of Christ for us doesn't accomplish our justification. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't complete. But the resurrection of Christ demonstrated that the payment for our sins was complete and death as the consequence of sin was defeated and eternal life was earned That's exactly the point that he's made in the last verse of the last chapter the last verse of chapter 4 where it says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses but he was raised for our justification Paul would tell the, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you're still in your sins but since he has been raised He's the first fruits of our own salvation, which brings us to the final two grounds of justification that He gives quickly. We need to note that quickly. The first, the first, which I lost count. Is this the fourth? Yep. Yeah. Uh, is is a ground of justification? Is the re, is the reconciliation we have with God? The reconciliation that we have with God that was accomplished through the the, the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ for us. Reconciliation with God. You can see that in verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Verse 11, we have now received reconciliation. Our justification before God is, is secure because in all, in all of the gifts that come to us through that are secure. Why? Because below that, we have actually been reconciled to God through what Christ has done for us. Not only is there therefore now no condemnation, there is no longer any enmity whatsoever. Whatsoever. This is what grounds those gifts we saw earlier. The promise of perpetual grace that He will never stop doing good to us. It's not just because we have been legally declared righteous before God, but underneath that and along with that, we are reconciled personally to Him. And there is no more enmity between us. And all of this is true because of this final ground and ultimate ground of justification, which is union with Christ. Union with Christ is perhaps the most fundamental reality here. I think we see it in the sort of bookends of this passage. In the first verse, it says, We have peace with God, Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how verse 2 begins. Through Him we've obtained access. And now look at the last verse. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received justification. Through, 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 through. Four times. Beginning and the end. Every good thing we have from God's hand, we have through Christ. This is the language of the New Testament. Through Him, because we are in Him, we have been raised with Him. All of this connection, union language. In Him, with Him, through Him. That's all language describing our union with Christ. That the, the, that the mercy of God... The mercy that God showed in sending Christ to be the substitute for his people, that shows that our union with Christ actually begins in eternity past in the electing love of God. And when that comes to fruition in our lives through repentance and faith, we are then united to Christ really and personally. And everything now, because we are united to him, everything that's now true of Jesus is true of us because we're connected to him through Him, with Him, in Him. His perfect life is counted for mine because I'm connected to Him. His death is counted as mine because I'm connected to Him. I'm united to Him. The judgment that was laid on Him is counted as if it happened to me because I'm connected to Him. His resurrection is counted as mine because I'm connected to Him. His, pre- His ascension into heaven and His presence at the right hand of the Father is also counting for mine in, in a certain way because He is simply holding our place there until He should return again and come get us and take us there. For any gift of justification to not be granted to us, it would only be possible if Jesus failed at any point in His work. But because He lived, died, rose again, ascended from which he will return he has earned and grounded every good gift that we are promised and to that we echo what Paul says more than once in this passage we rejoice let's pray father thank you so much for this this rich word Um, I pray that you uh, help me to say only what is true Lord I pray that if I stated anything not as you intended, Lord. Would you help us forget it? Help us to hold fast to those things that we saw in your word. Help us to believe. Help us to believe your word. Help us to rejoice in all the gifts that you've given us along with justification with Christ. Help us to grow in belief and grow in certainty. Grow in assurance through all of these uh, multiplicity of grounds of your your mercy of of your substitutionary life and death and your resurrection in our place the reconciliation that you have you have brought about because of your kindness and mercy And, uh, and the union that we forever for all eternity more have with Jesus Christ help us never to introspect our way into despair. Would you help us look away from ourselves to Jesus our Savior. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.